Thanks for being here. I want to welcome those of you joining us at home online as well. My name is Joe, one of the pastors here. If you're first time to Next, welcome. Um, we are all about helping people take their next steps with God. So wherever you are at on your spiritual journey, know that, that you're loved here and welcomed here, and we're honored that you're here. There's a card right in front of you. Do us a favor, fill that out. Let us know you're, you're visiting with us. Bring it up front. We've got a free gift we'd love to give to you, and just say good morning. Thanks for being here. We're continuing on in our study in the book of 1 Thessalonians, and uh, if you're just joining us, this is week four, where we are looking at the Apostle Paul's letter to this, this church that he basically started in three weeks and then got ran out of time and, uh, or ran out of town. And um, uh, this passage this week is, it was, it was very practical and personal for me, very challenging, to be honest with you. I pray that will be the case for you today as well. Um, let me back up a little bit and, and, and set, set it up for you. So uh, I was born in, in Northeast Philly, uh, raised there to, till the age, about the age of seven. We moved out to Bucks County and then grew up there and, uh, and then went to, uh, went to Bible college and met my wife from Allentown, dated through Bible college, got married. And at 22, we moved out to Michigan, right? God called us to pastor out in Michigan. And as I've said many times, nobody, nobody really chooses to live in Michigan. God tells you to live in Michigan, right? <laughs> And so we were in Michigan for our first 15 years of our married life, and that's where we had our two kids. And, uh, and I learned something about, about Michigan and really the Midwest in general, and that is this, is that those people are nice. Like, Midwest people are nice, right? And, and you, you, you don't really realize that, or at least I didn't really realize that until about 2010, because in 2010, I moved back here, all right? <laughs> And I, and I moved I move back here, and I'm like, oh, that's, that's right. We're back in Philly, right? And it's like, and, and, but I also realized something about moving back here in Philly, and that is this, and that is that people wear their hearts on their sleeve, and what you see is what you get. And, and I like that, right? I like that, because you know exactly where you stand with people, because they'll just tell you, right? And so it's like, we have a thought, we're going to tell you. And, and so you get the real, the real deal with most Philly people. You get the real genuine thing where in, in, in Michigan, everyone's just really kind of nice and Midwest nice and politically correct and all that. And all that goes out the window here, right? And, and you kind of, you don't notice it until you're in it or gone from it. And, um, and in a way, that's really what this passage is about this morning is, is being real. Um, Paul's going to talk about how when he came into town, he was the real deal. He wore his heart on his sleeve, and what you saw is what you got, and he was sincere and genuine and authentic with this Thessalonian church. And, and that's, that's good, but there's a problem, right? And, 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 and so I think this passage, especially for us Philly people, is incredibly uh, applicable and, and practical and I pray that it would be this morning. And, and a lot of us, you know, wear that Philly pride on our sleeve and like, you know, we're, it's a tough town and, and we all of that. And, and we, we pride ourselves on being real, right? And the problem, though, with being real is if you're really a jerk, right? That's, that's, that's a problem because then you're just really a jerk to people or if you're, if you're just really angry, or if you're, you're really self-absorbed and that's the real you that people experience, that's a problem. And so, 
And, and, and part of it is we, we, we say things, well, that's just me. I got to be me, right? And we say things like that. And, and, and so for us as those who are following Jesus and trying to be more like Jesus, the question this morning is this, what does it mean to be real? But I would say biblically filtered real so that the you that you present to others comes through the lens of scripture. It passes through and scripture filters you in such a way that it's not just filtering you, but really it's on both sides of you, that it's, it's shaping you and it's forming you and it's kind of carving off the rough spots of the real you, which we all have, so that the you that you then, the authentic, real, genuine you that you present to others is really a, a biblical you. And this is what the Apostle Paul is going to talk about today, is that he was, he was biblically real with his people. He wasn't fake. He wasn't phony. Right? And, and it's funny because that's what I realized after 15 years of, of living in the Midwest, is they have thoughts and opinions and things to say too. They just say it after you leave. Right? They'll just say it behind closed doors, and then they'll talk about you. We're here. We'll just say it to your face, right? And so, and, and, and so the Apostle Paul is just saying, listen, I want I wanna you church to know what it means to live out and be real with people. And he's going to invite us to consider a couple questions, like how, how genuine and real are you with people? And, and how do people experience you? And is it the real you? Or is it some kind of facade of you that you put on depending on the audience that you're with? And most importantly, how much have you allowed the Bible to shape you so that the you that you present to others and that people experience is a, is a, a biblically informed version of you? And so um, we're going to read, we're going to cover six verses this morning. We start chapter two. And uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. I'm going to read the whole passage so you can just get a feel for the whole passage. And then we'll go back a verse at a time and, and we'll unpack it. All right? So here we go. Chapter 2, verse 1 starts off. Paul says this. You yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without result. Like good things happened when we were there, right? And they were only there three weeks. And then they got ran out of time. And uh, ran out of time. Why do I keep saying ran out of time? Ran out of, maybe because I'm always watching the clock, ran out of time. Ran, ran out of town. Um, and so he says, on the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, that's where he came from, 100 miles up the road. We'll talk about that. As you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. For our exhortation didn't come from error or impurity or an intent to deceive. Instead, just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please people, but rather God who examines our hearts. For we never used flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives, God is our witness, we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others. And so Paul saying we were as sincere and authentic and genuine with you as possible. And so let's, let's go back and, and let's look at these six verses. And, and I think there's much there for us in, in how do you and I live in a culture 
that desperately needs to see the real Jesus in people? And how do we make sure that we're real and sincere and genuine and not being really angry or really a jerk or or really self-absorbed, that that is not the you that people are experiencing? Okay, let's go back. Verse 1, he says this. You yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without result. He's reminding them and saying, look, man, there, there was spiritual fruit that happened when, when we came into town. In other words, there's power in the word of God. There's power in the gospel. When you heard about Jesus, it changed your lives. Here's what he's saying. Hey, look around. Like, yeah, I'm not there right now, but look around. Look at, look at Frank and look at Martha and look at Bill. Like, look how their lives are changed is what he's saying. We came and, and it was, there was fruit there, spiritual fruit. There was a result. Remember, remember what he said last week? You, you guys turned. You turned from idols and you turned to God. And then he used two very key descriptors of, of, of God. You remember what the adjectives were of, of God? He said, you turned towards the blank and the blank God. Alive and you can look, it's open book test. It's just a couple verses back. You can look at the true, the true and the living God, right? Yeah. And, and so he said, listen, you've turned from idols. and You guys are different is what he's saying. You've changed. Listen, Jesus works. There's, there's a change that happens when you bring him into the inside. There's results and there's fruit that comes when you truly know Jesus not, not just kind of, yeah, well, I kind of believe. Oh, I, I, I do once. No, no. When you really bring Jesus in, he's saying, you know our visit was not without result. He goes on to say, on the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. So what happened in Philippi, right? So if you remember... The Apostle Paul went on a ministry tour, and was, this is about 15 years after Jesus, and said, right, there is no, there's no text, there's no Twitter, right, there's no email, there was no way to get the news out about Jesus. And so Paul literally was the Twitter of the day. And so he's going around Asia Minor and actually ends up starting the first church in Europe. That's the church in Philippi. And so he, he comes to Philippi, the first place he goes, and starts talking about Jesus, and people say yes, and people receive the truth about the gospel of Jesus and, and believe in Jesus, and a little church has started there, um, and he's going around, pre- you can read about this, by the way, we'll do this in Acts 16, I'm going to read the passage, but let me just set it up for you. Um, he, he ends up uh, coming into a town where there was a, a girl there a slave girl that was possessed by a demon. But the the demon gave her the powers to predict the future. And so the owner of the slave girl used to hire her out to have people come and get their fortunes told and about the future. And she, she hears Paul in the town, and she's following Paul around as he's talking about Jesus and says, oh, you're the one talking about Jesus, the most high, and, and, and making a big stink about Paul. And finally, after a couple days, Paul turns around and says, enough, come out of her and, and frees her from this demon that's in her. Which is awesome for her, bad for the owner, because now he's got no money. And so he starts making a stink about it, gets the town all wound up, and now we read about what happens to Paul in Acts chapter 16 in Philippi. It says this, 
bringing them before the magistrates, they said, these men are seriously disturbing our city. They're Jews, and they're promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. And the crowd joined in the attack against them. And the chief magistrate stripped off their clothes, ordered them to be beaten with rods, and after they had severely flogged them, threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner, or the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. Now, it's easy to read words on a page, but in case you missed it, let me go through one at a time and use your holy imagination to understand what Paul really did go through here at Philippi, right? The first thing is that he was swarmed by a crowd, right? This I don't know if you've ever experienced that, maybe back to middle school days, if the kind of guys were coming at you to bully you, but just imagine an angry crowd coming towards you, yelling, threatening, kind of angry towards you, and kind of how intimidating and nerve-wracking and fearful that can be, right? And then they grab him and they bring him before the magistrates, and their next thing is, we're going to strip you naked in public. And that's what they do next, is they, they remove the clothes of Paul and his associates. And then they take two rods and they tape them together, they fashion them together somehow, and these are the rods they used to, to beat Paul. And then he took a beating. It doesn't just say beating, though. It says he was severely flogged, publicly beaten naked. And then after he was severely beaten with rods, they took him and they put him in stocks. Stocks um, would have been something where they would spread your legs out and, and ankle lock you to the ground so that you couldn't move, put you in an uncomfortable position. And not only that, but it says that he was put in the inner prison, which was the, the harshest prison. It was the one, think solitary confinement, right? It was where there was no windows, there was no breeze getting into the inner prison. I mean, it was just the worst place to be. And this is what Paul just went through. And then, after he gets out, he says, hey, I got an idea. Let's walk 100 miles down to Thessalonica and do the same thing again and talk about Jesus again. Now, I don't know about you, but after I went through that, I would have kind of taken that as, I think God's closing the door on this ministry tour. I think I would have tapped out. Uh, game over for Joe. I think they can figure it out on their own. And you would have too, right? And let's just say this while we're at it. We haven't been persecuted yet. We really, I mean... It, it, it might feel like it, and like we've, we've had some opposition maybe, and it feels like the heat's getting turned up on Christianity here in America, but, but we, we, we haven't really been persecuted yet, right? I mean, unless, unless I'm mistaken, and you've been sworn by a crowd, stripped naked, beaten with rods, thrown in jail for talking about Jesus, then you have. But otherwise, we're... We're, we're kind of we're kind of soft Americans, a little bit. Let's pray for tough skin, right? Let's because th listen, this is happening to our brothers and sisters around the world, right? It's not like oh that was biblical. No, this is what's happening. People being killed for their faith. 
And so the heat is going to continue to get turned up on us, but this is what I'm saying. Let's, let's pray that we'd be strong Christians, tough Christians, not soft and weak Christians, that we would recognize um, opposition's coming. And here's the truth. People will suffer for what you really believe. Right? People will suffer for what they really believe. This is, this, is, this is one of the great proofs of the resurrection of Jesus. When people want to make up all kinds of stories how Jesus didn't really rise from the grave, one of them is, oh, the disciples came and stole the body. Right? No, no, they didn't. Because every one of those 12 disciples died a martyr's death. And nobody dies a martyr's death for a lie. Right? They, they died believing that their Jesus really rose again from the grave. People will suffer for what you really believe. And this is why Paul says, we're going to go on. We're going on. And so he literally comes limping into uh, Thessalonica. Literally, probably wounds still fresh, not even fully scabbed up yet, still probably bruised and bloodied. And he comes into town, and what's he do? Let me tell you about Jesus. The same thing that just got him the beating 100 miles down the road, right? And I want you to, I want you to catch this. This is, how did he do that, right? Because it's kind of crazy, I want you to go back and read the verse again. Verse 2 says, On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, here's the secret, we were what? Emboldened by our God to speak the gospel. Emboldened. So listen, it wasn't like Paul was just you know, bootstrap, I'm going to be tough, be a man, you're not going to get the best of me. It was, you know what he ended up doing? He ended up sitting with God, I'm sure, sat with God and said, God, is this, you still want me to keep going? Like, God, is this, right? And, and so when, when you face opposition, don't be so quick to, to, to tap out. Instead, sit with the Lord and make sure that you're getting your direction and your peace from the Lord. Let the Holy Spirit, God gave you the Holy Spirit that lives within you, and you've got to learn to, to, to have fellowship and conversations with the Holy Spirit who will speak to your spirit. And, and Jesus called them the paraclete. The one para means alongside, cleat means to call. The one called alongside you who's a helper and a comforter and a counselor, and he will speak to you. And if you don't know how to, how to relate to the Holy Spirit that lives in you, who's going to remind you about what God says and truth and how you should be living and all this, it's... it's it's the helper. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit to help make you holy. And so Paul sat with the Lord and the Holy Spirit ministered him and reminded him and gave him courage. That's what encourage means, to put courage in, embolden him to carry on. And, and so we need that. And I love, I love what also what it says. This is, this is um, well, let me, let me just pause and let's, let me talk about that just for a second. Because when you stop and you even think about the Bible, you know what the Bible's full of? People that had great courage that were emboldened. I mean, starting with, starting with Noah, right? You're like, Noah, how, is, how did Noah have courage? Well, it says that Noah was the only righteous man that lived during his day. And then God came to him with some crazy instructions to, to build a boat, like a giant, a giant boat. Um, scholars say, anyone, anyone know how long it took Noah to build his giant boat? Scholars estimate like without chainsaws and power tools, right? Stuff like that. You know, you know how long it took Noah to build a boat? A hundred years. A hundred years. 
right? You want to you talk about being ridiculed and made fun of, like the townspeople coming in and be like, what are you doing, all right? Like, and I'd be like, you'll see, right? You'll see. You just wait 75 years, you'll see, right? Like, <laughs> and, and, and so just persevering, right? You talk about thick skin and like, no, I know I'm doing what God told me to do. I'm not going to quit doing what God told me to do. You just go right on down the line. You have Moses, you have Joseph, right? You have, you have Jeremiah. You know, you know who Jeremiah is? The prophet Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. God tapped him on the shoulder and said, hey, I want you to tell my people to stop. And they're not going to like it. He, he was the prophet to Israel when Israel was in such bad rebellion against God. And, and Jeremiah, he was, he's nicknamed the weeping prophet. And, and, and he's just lamenting over his own people's actions. Um, he wrote the book of the Bible in the old Lamentations. is written by Jeremiah just weeping over his own people and their rebellion. And God tapped him on the shoulder and said, I got a job for you to do, and it ain't going to be easy. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 17, he's, God says this to him, Now get ready, stand up, and tell them everything I command you. Do not be intimidated by them, or I will cause you to cower before them. Two verses later, verse 19, they will fight against you, but never prevail over you since I am with you to rescue you. This is the Lord's declaration. We need emboldened people that will not tap out when it gets difficult because it's going to get difficult. And thank goodness Paul and Timothy and Silas were not led by their feelings or even their situation. Instead, they were led by what God told them to do. It's been said that every pastor writes a letter on Monday mornings, and it's a letter of resignation. <laughs> because you get done and just like, ah, is this even working? Like, you all getting this? Now, I, I, I've only written it probably 100 times, but that's not, you know, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But it's why you don't quit. Because you know God's called you to it. And so when you know God's called you to it, even if your feelings tell you otherwise, even if the situation tells you otherwise, even if it seems like a closed door, you know God's called you to it, you don't quit. And Paul and Timothy and Silas didn't quit. One more thing i got to talk about in this verse, if you can throw up verse 2 again. It's really important to see this. This is going to be a little bit of a rabbit trail, but it's, I think it's important. He says halfway through, we were emboldened by our God, right? So they've been put courage in, and I want you to notice this, emboldened by God to do what? Speak the gospel. The gospel. Do you know what the gospel is? Do you know what gospel means? This is important. To speak the gospel, the gospel literally means good news. You're like, what's the good news? Here's the good news, is that Jesus Christ came down and lived a life that you and I could not live because we are trapped in our own sins, and there's no way we could be good enough, and so he came down, died on the cross, rose again from the grave as penalty for your sins and my sins. He paid our debt, and now we just have to say yes, to have faith and invite him into our life, that's good news. You will be saved. And so that's what the gospel means. That is the pure and simple truth of the gospel, church. So simple, a five-year-old could understand it. You've done bad things. Those bad things are against God. 
Jesus died for all your bad things. Do you want Jesus Christ in your life? That is the good news of the gospel. And so listen. And I, I, I don't have this all worked out yet. So this is going to be an ongoing conversation with us, church. But all I know is we have to figure out how to make sure that when we engage with this culture and this world, that we're speaking the gospel to them. We're bringing them Jesus and not arguing and fighting and speaking about a bunch of other things because here's what ends up happening is that you end up trying to speak spiritual truths to people that have a spiritually dead heart. And you're trying to get them to come to our side when the reality is they'll never see a spiritual truth with a spiritually dead heart. You're like, who do you call them a spiritually dead heart? I'm just telling you this is what God says. This is, the, this is what the Bible says. In the Old Testament, the book of Ezekiel, God said this to them. He said, listen, I'm going to give you a new heart. So what people need is a heart transplant. They, they don't need just a mind transplant. They need a heart transplant first. This is what God says. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put in a new spirit within you. I will, this is prophesying Old Testament about what's going to happen in the New Testament when Jesus comes. And he says, I'm going to remove your heart of stone and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh when it's alive and beats for me. Verse 27, I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. Oh, so here's the order. First, I get a new heart. God's spirit comes in. And then what happens? Then I follow God's ways. And, and this is the part we've got to figure out. Because I'm not saying there's not truth. And I'm not, I, I thought you just said we need to be bold. And I, I know, we've got to be bold. And there is truth. And there is right and wrong. And God gives us all that. But if we spend all our time arguing and fighting about those things, it's asking spiritually dead people to do following God things when their heart is not even there. And so the first thing that needs to happen is they need a new heart, which is why they need Jesus, because Jesus is the only one that gives them a new heart, and then their eyes are open. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, because this is you. You're like, I, I get it. And I don't know how we do this. And we're going to continue to figure it out I know we got to keep looking to Jesus because all I know is sinners were drawn to Jesus. Amen. They were drawn to Jesus. And the Gospel of John says in John chapter 1 that when Jesus came, he was full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. And we've got to figure out how to marry these two things together where we don't water down and excuse truth and say there is no truth and we'll just live your own truth and everything you want to do, do you, do you. No, 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 there is truth. But that we don't beat people up with truth, that there's such grace in the way that we're living towards people that they want the person that we have that can give them a new heart. And we've got to figure out how to marry these two things together, church. And it's going to be an ongoing conversation. All I know is, oh, put it back up for me real quick. They... I'm sorry, I, uh, Philippians, not Philippians 2, uh, Thessalonians 2, 2. They were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel. So do that. Do that in such a way that we're not arguing about side things and losing relationships 
in such a way that then when we come to town, well, but really you need to know about Jesus. And they're like, no, 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 I've already seen the hand that you've played. I don't want anything to do with your Jesus. That they've already closed the door because of the way that we've conducted ourselves. So let's make sure we come with Jesus. And then, and then the flip side is, <laughs> it's, this, it's, it's not going to matter for some how much we love and care and give and help right, and how nice we are and how winsome we are and how much we just help and build relationships. For some, it's not going to matter because Jesus said, they hated me, they're going to hate you too. And so that's just why I'm saying I don't have it figured out, which is why I know we need the Holy Spirit in every circumstance to just help us and show us, how do I do this relationship? How do I do this circumstance? But I know they need the gospel because that alone is what gives them a new heart. And now Paul's going to go on. He's going to go on and he's going to talk about, well, let me tell you how I did it. And he's going to share three principles in the next three verses. He's going to share three principles. And and these are the principles that I pray that we would filter ourselves through so that the, the, the we that people see is a biblically transformed us. The real deal. We're the real deal. We're not fake. We're not phony. We're not flattery. We're not people pleasing. Man, we're just telling you the truth, but we're doing it in such a way that it, it's filled with love and grace. Here's what Paul says. I'm going to give you the three principles, and, and then I'll, I'll show you the verse. Principle number one is this. Don't be deceptive, right? Don't, don't be um, baiting and switching people. And, and, and this is what, well, here's what Paul says in, in verse three. He says, our exhortation, Thessalonians, you know when we came, our words to you, exhortation, our encouragement to you, it didn't come from three things, he says. It didn't come from error, or it didn't come from impurity, or it didn't come from an intent to deceive, right? Paul's saying, man, I was so real with you guys. I wasn't telling you half-truths. I wasn't trying to trick you. I didn't have these three things. First thing, it didn't have error, meaning it was true. What I'm telling you is the truth. We've got to be people of truth, right? And he says it, it didn't come from impurity. This was important because, listen, um, TV evangelist preachers is nothing new that just want money and use their position for power and for sex. And there has been charlatans since the beginning of time. And part of the Greek world was having, having these traveling philosophers and teachers that would, you know, eloquently give these great speeches and get a following and, and then use that following for profit or for sexual power. And so it, it's been supposed that Paul, it's like, why is Paul saying this? Why is he defending himself in, in how he did his gospel ministry? It's been supposed that there has been accusations leveled against him from his critics. Oh, wait, wait. You're following that guy? You mean the guy that left in the middle of the night that was here three weeks and then split town? That's the guy you're following? Oh, that guy had all, right? And so it's been, you kind of reverse read scriptures and like, why is Paul talking about this? Well, he's probably being accused of this. And, and so he's coming back to his church, Thessalonian church, and saying, listen, you guys know. You, you know how we were. It it, it didn't come from impurity. This word here, impurity, has the idea of of sexual immorality. He's like, man, there wasn't any of that going on 
My, my motives were pure. And then he, he says this, it, 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 I didn't have zero intent to deceive. That, that Greek word for intent to deceive is literally used to put bait on a hook. And this is what he's saying. We, we, weren't, we weren't doing a bait and switch with you, right? We weren't, I, I, we weren't pro- promising you, listen, if you follow Jesus, all of your problems will go away and Jesus will make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. Just follow Jesus, right? Paul was no prosperity gospel preacher. And, and so uh, I think Paul today would show up and he'd be like, he'd, he'd, he'd throw up and he'd start rebuking these prosperity gospel preachers that make Jesus seem like he's just there to grant your every wish like some kind of magical spiritual tooth fairy. He said, I told you the truth. I didn't bait and switch you guys. Here's the second thing, and this is, this is, this is a challenge for some of us. The second principle is this. You've got to live to please God and not live to please man. Oh, this is such a hard one for some to to be a pleaser of God and not a pleaser of man. This is what he says in verse four and in verse six. He says this, instead, just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. It's like God's the one who gave us this message, so God's the one that we're gonna answer to and he's the one we're trying to please. Not to please people, he says, but rather God who examines our hearts. We'll talk about that in a second. And then in verse 6, he says, we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others. Man, Paul's like, for me, it was all about God. I lived and spoke to please an audience of one. Our, uh, I don't know if you would call him our beloved ex-quarterback or how you feel about it. My heart kind of breaks about the whole thing. I want to know the whole story. Like, what happened a couple years ago? Like, what happened there, right? Um, but if you, and if you're not a football person, I'm talking about Carson Wentz. And he, he had this tattoo and this organization that he founded called, Chuck, Audience of One, all right? Audience of One. Let's make sure you're awake. Audience of One. <laughs> Audience of One, because... Carson Wentz was a follower of Jesus, and he wanted to play for and live for an audience of one. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, listen, when I came into town, like, I told you guys the truth. I wasn't sugarcoating it or kind of bait and switching you. My goal was to please God. You want to know why? Because he's the one I'm going to stand before one day. And so I got to be really careful to make sure that I don't sacrifice pleasing God on the altar of pleasing man. And because oftentimes those things are very different things. And so I want to, at the end of the day, when I put my head on the pillow, make sure that God is the one who looks down and says, well done today, good and faithful servant. You lived for me. You spoke for me. You didn't shrink back. You lived biblically filtered for me. And this is what Paul's saying. I'm going to please God and not man. You know what this is, by the way, if you're here and, and I... This verse, can you throw that verse back up for me? And it's it's a really important thing here, verse 4. Go back to verse 4. At the end, he says, So we speak not to please people, but rather God, who, what? Yikes. You know your heart, that place where all those wicked, evil things are stored down that only you know about that don't ever really get out, but they're living in there. 
Oh, you're not the only one who knows about them, my friends. We have a Heavenly Father who knows what He goes on in, in there. He examines our hearts. That's a good thing. We want a God who's a heart doctor to help us see poison that lives in our hearts. You want to get it out. That's what conviction is. Conviction is God loving you and saying, hey, you got poison in there. we got to get that out. That's wrong. That's going to, it's going to ultimately leave you dead. It's going to kill you spiritually. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt those around you. It's not good for you. You need to bring your heart before the heart doctor often. You need to sit with God often. Let him examine your heart. A lot of times we don't want to do that because we know, we, we know what's in there and we don't want to invite him in there. I got news for you. He's already in there. He already knows. So why not benefit from sitting with the heart doctor? Why are you going to run from that? Hide from that? He already knows. Right? Don't be a pleaser of man. Be a pleaser of God. And then the last point Paul's going to make here is this. Don't be self-serving. Don't be in it for you. It's not about you. It's not about you getting the upper hand, you looking good, you winning an argument, you coming out ahead. Don't be self-serving. In verse 5, this is what he says. We never used flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives. God is our witness. We never used flattering speech. You ever, you ever had a flatterer in your life? Not a flat earther in your life. A flatterer in your life, I said. Those are very different conversations. You know, somebody who's just puffing you up, and the whole time you're like, what is your angle, dude, right? Like, you know, and you don't believe what they're saying. Why? Because you know that they have an angle, and you know that they need or want something from you, and the reason they're saying nice things to you is really for their benefit, right? That's what flattery is. Flattery is lying, and manipulation for their benefit. And Paul's saying, I didn't do any of that. There was no flattery. I came and I just wanted to tell you the truth about Jesus. And it didn't benefit me at all. As a matter of fact, got me a beating in jail. So there's, <laughs> there's no advantage to me here of, of kind of baiting and switching. He's like, and I'm going to keep doing it. Why? Because this is what God's called me to do. Don't be self-serving. And then... And then we have the worship team come. I want us to reflect on this, so don't check out yet. Don't mentally, emotionally check out yet. I, I, you got to see this last part. He says, we didn't have greedy motives. I wasn't in this for the money. As a matter of fact, we'll see next week when we get to verse 7. You know how much Paul charged them for his ministry? You know how many tickets he sold? Zero. You know what he did when he got into town in Thessalonians? You know what he did? He got a part-time job. He got a job. And he says, we didn't even make use of our apostleship. Of our, every apostle had an apostle card they could pull out and be like, oh, oh, okay, well, here, you come stay, uh, stay here and we'll feed you and we'll do that. And he's like, he's going to say, he worked. So, so listen, he, he wasn't selling Jesus, he wasn't profiting off of Jesus. My motives weren't greedy. And then he calls to the stand the most powerful and, 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 and worthy. Witness one could ever call. He's like, I'm calling God to the stand. God is my witness. God knows. I'm calling the one who knows my heart to the stand. When you have God as your witness, when you walk with God and you know 
that God knows your heart and you live in such a sincere, genuine, authentic way, you know what you can do? You can call God as your witness all the time. What a freeing way to live. Letting God be your witness. And so, in conclusion, here's what Paul says. We came to you as genuinely and authentically as possible. Approved by God. Tested by God. Examined by God. Only wanting to please God. And so what do we do here? What's your next? Next? Community church, what's your next? Four things to sum it up. Here's what he says. Number one, be bold for God. Be bold for God. Be emboldened. But for the gospel... Not for side arguments, not for your pet peeves. Don't forfeit a chance to bring them to Jesus because you've already made yourself an enemy by side issues. The gospel. Number two, don't be deceptive. No bait and switch. Be real. Be genuine. Number three, live to please God and not man. And lastly, don't be self-serving. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about what we get out of this. I don't want to win. I don't want to win. Who wants to win? If I win, they lose. They lose spiritually. And then we all lose because we're here for a mission. Let's not forget the mission, church. Those that don't act, speak, think, believe, vote like us, are not the enemy. They are being controlled by the enemy. They are the battleground being fought over. So let's make sure that the you that you present to them is one like Jesus, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. God, I so need you to help us in this. God, because I I know even just standing up here talking about this, that there's so many dark spots in my heart that are off that I need you to come in and, and just remove, carve out, surgically cut out, that I've allowed there, some I've put there. God, I know there's ways in my approach, in my attitude, in my personality, in my demeanor that are just not of you. God, I, I pray that you'd help change them, shape them, refine them. God, I pray that for all of us. I thank you for the Apostle Paul who will be the first to say he wasn't perfect but was real. And so, God, I pray that that would be us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's stand together, church. Let's worship.